Well, now it's my turn to say good morning. My name is Drake Rice. I'm the assistant student director of Creekside Bible Church here in town. And I bet none of you woke up this morning expecting to hear a sermon from a 12-year-old. But stick with me today. For the record, I'm not 12. I'm only 23. But to start, I would like to say that I am excited about what the Holy Spirit will have to show us today in His Word and how our lives collectively can be renovated and changed by the Word of God. So, without further ado, if you have your Bibles, please open up with me to John chapter 3. I will be in the ESV this morning. When I was a child, I can remember the excitement that I would get traveling through the airport and the excitement that I would have about traveling to a brand new place. There was this level in me that seemed to spike when we got to the airport that That was a place of such wonder. When I was a child, I thought traveling was so complicated. Getting on an airplane was was so cool. It was the coolest thing I could ever do. I can remember uh, having a, a tub of airplane toys and running around the house, making them fly and uh, and how much this seemed so amazing to me. But it was complicated. I didn't quite understand what it meant to, you know, book a flight And I can remember walking into the airport with my family, uh, going on family vacations, and my dad would lead us through the airport knowing exactly where to go. But I didn't know where to go. This didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand that we had to check our bags, and then we had to go through security, and then we had to find our gate, and then once we landed, we had to go to baggage claim, and all of this seemed so crazy. It didn't make any sense. Now, this lack of understanding in my childhood brain made me kind of a little annoying rug rat to travel with. In fact, I tip my hat to my parents who were very patient with me as I asked question after question in the airport, like how high do planes fly and how many airlines are there and where's my suitcases right now? Oh, let's stop and get a pretzel. You know, just things like that, right? My little child brain couldn't comprehend the adult things of traveling in an airport. In our text today, we see a man who struggles to understand. A man who is given an idea, in fact, a a truth. Truth for, for life that he just doesn't quite understand. It's complicated. It's complex. This is something that flies over his head. So I'd like to start with just one verse in John chapter 3, and that's verse 3. When Nicodemus comes to our Lord Jesus. And this is the first thing that Jesus has to say to him in John 3, 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The very idea of being born again and what that means is central to our passage today. It's crucial. It's key that we understand this. And naturally, Nicodemus struggles with this idea of being born again. In all likelihood, Nicodemus isn't a young man. And so he's understanding, how can I be born again? I'm already here. So what does born again mean? And I can imagine at this point in time, Nicodemus looking intently into the eyes of Jesus with curiosity and confusion. Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? 
So it is crucial that we understand the powerful words of Jesus, born again. See, we cannot inherit or inhabit the kingdom of God as we are. Left to ourselves, this is this glorious place, this glorious kingdom that we dream about is not something we can obtain. Paul writes in Romans 5, 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, there's a lot there that we could unpack. We could spend the next 30 to 40 minutes talking about Romans 5, 6. In fact, I would love to. We'll go 80 minutes. I'm just joking. But one of the things that I think is crucial to understand that Paul is talking about in Romans 5 is that we are weak and ungodly. That it is our ungodliness and our broken state, the hard reality that we're just not good enough. The reality that we are sinners and that we do make mistakes and that we do wander off like sheep and and go astray. There's weakness in us, ungodliness and our rebellion and moral failures keep us from the glorious, holy, perfect kingdom of our Lord. So simply put, we cannot live on our own. There's something that needs to change. If you keep doing the exact same thing that you have always done, you will yield the same results. So something inside of us must change for access into the kingdom of God. So there are truths from this passage. And as Jesus starts, he says, you must be born again and made new. And the first truth this morning that I have for you is short, sweet and simple. We are in need of rebirth into a brand new life. Rebirth. We need a new life because we can't do it. We can't make it and we can't cut it. Jesus powerfully makes us aware of this truth that we need saving. John 15 verse 5 when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, for apart from me, nothing you have. Imagine a builder who goes out and builds houses or he builds buildings and he has his tool belt. And he has his tools, things that he uses to build. Now, without these tools, no house would ever be completed. No office building would ever be complete without these tools. An artist has a canvas. An artist has his paints. He has his brushes, brushes that are different sizes. He uses a thicker, wider brush to paint a sky and then a thinner brush to maybe put little details of snow on a winter cabin, on a painting. But without these brushes and these paints or these tools, no house is completed and no painting is ever finished. Same is for us. Without the work of the Holy Spirit and His grace and His mercy and love in our lives, we can do nothing. In fact, that that simple phrase there, born again, is to be born 
from above. Well, Nicodemus is thinking born of an earthly kingdom. How, how do I be physically reborn? How, okay. I'm an old man here. How do I enter my mother's womb again? As he demonstrates in verse four, and we don't have time to go there, but as he demonstrates this, how do I physically be born again into a better person than what I am now? But Jesus is saying, no, no. Born again in the sense of born from above. The Greek word anothen. Born from above. The idea is to be born of God's kingdom rather than a human earthly kingdom. So to start, we see that rebirth is needed and crucial and that we need to be changed. Born again means that our life is now found in Christ. We're not looking for life in anything that we have to offer to God. God, I have this amount of money to offer to you. I have this amount of good works to offer to you. I have this amount of fill-in-the-blank God to offer to you. Born again means I am born from you, Jesus. You, Jesus, are my life. You, Jesus, are my source. Born again means that there is a complete transformation in our hearts. Now, this transformation that is so important, this drastic change, comes through two key things. Number one is the work of the Holy Spirit. Where God takes the initiative to come to us and to graciously tap on our shoulder. To open our eyes and to open our hearts to see what I've been doing, what the way I've been living, and what I have in me isn't enough. That there is sin, that there is brokenness, impurity. There's this work of the Holy Spirit in which He convicts. And He wrings us out like a wash rag. Saying, I'm going to do some work. And that, that might be painful. You might have to give up some things that you really enjoy. But ultimately, it is for your good as the Holy Spirit convicts us as He says, I love you, Drake. I love you. And I don't want this broken way of life for you. I want renovation. New life to be born again. Which leads to key number two. Repentance. Where we accept this and we accept the gift of grace and we now move away and we turn our backs on what was old and we throw off that old way of life and we repent and we say, okay, Jesus, you are now my life by your grace at the cross and by your love for me. I'm changing my mind on that stuff. And I don't know what stuff may be for you, but we all have our stuff. And I'm changing my mind on my sin. I'm turning my back on it. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be perfect. But I'm looking to Jesus now, where I accept His gift of grace and that there is nothing I can do, but it is all Jesus. We've all have, we've seen these movies or TV shows with a character that we really like. If you get wrapped up into your movies or you get wrapped up into your TV shows like I do, you know what I'm talking about. You go to the movie theater and there's this character and you know that this character in this movie can be good. 
And you want this character to thrive. You want this fictional cinematic character. You want good things for him or for her. And so as you get wrapped up into the movie and you get wrapped up into the TV show, you start rooting for them. Come on, you can do it. Or just open your eyes and and change a little bit, right? You really want the best for this fictional character. And then you start taking it too far and you think of them as your family and you start to pray for them. (laughs) And then there's a key moment in the movie. When something changes, usually it's an inspirational speech. You know, episode six of season whatever for one character, there's an inspirational speech or they remember something from their childhood and all of a sudden they're reborn and they go and they save the world or they get the girl and they ride off into the sunset or whatever. But there's that one moment where that character changes and they spin on a dime as they remember something from their childhood or their, you know, whatever it may be. And maybe I just get really wrapped up into my movies. (laughs) But that's the way it is with us as human beings who are fallen in nature. As we are broken people. That's the way it is with you and with me that Jesus brings this powerful transformation in us through his spirit. And then we, as our response, repent and start to move towards him. As God takes initiative, he starts to pull us in. He uses powerful things. Sometimes things that are really painful and they don't make sense. Things in your life right now that are difficult. You're like, man, I can't handle this anymore. I'm just ready for this to be over. I'm just ready for this to be done. Or this doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand this, God. Why would you allow this to happen? And we look to the sky, we look to the heavens, and we open up our Bibles and we start praying, why in the world would such pain come upon me? And God is going, you are holding one piece of a puzzle that is 10,000 pieces. Trust me, I am bringing you to me. I am drawing you in. Why? Because I love you and because I have grace for you. So he takes this initiative. He draws us in. Something in us changes. And that's what it means to be born again. To be born from above. To be born from God's kingdom. Now, to Nicodemus, this is crazy talk. I'm with, Jesus might as well be speaking in a different language to Nicodemus. So what I'd like to do is actually skip down in John chapter 3 to verse 9 and 10. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? There it is. Nicodemus is like, what in the world are you talking about? How can these things be? Pick it up in verse 10. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Now let's think about Nicodemus for a moment. We just, got ta- we just got done talking about Jesus and his work in our lives through pain, how he draws us in, and how he takes the initiative. So now let's start to think about this man, Nicodemus, a Pharisee. John 3.1 says that he was the ruler of the Jews. 
This man was a spiritual top dog. If anybody was as spiritual and knew their stuff, it was Nicodemus. Nobody ever knew more about God's word than Nicodemus. This man had studied the Old Testament so much and so faithfully that he had the most of it memorized. As a Pharisee, he would have had to take a pledge in front of three people, in front of three witnesses, to keep all of the laws given in the Old Testament. So if you've read the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you have read, maybe dozing off a little bit, if you're like me, you've read some of those laws in the Old Testament. All 613 of them. God gives 613 laws that Nicodemus now pledges to keep and to memorize which is insane to me because I cannot remember what I had for breakfast this morning. But he had these memorized and he had them memorized faithfully. And as a Pharisee, he is dedicated and committed. His life is all about obedience and what he can do and the laws that he can obey and the rules that he can keep. When it comes to obedience, Nicodemus is what my parents wanted me to be like as a kid. Now, I was a great kid, but <laughs> just joking. And I have great parents too. But he put too much weight into all of these things. Way too much weight and significance into just keeping rules. He started doing good works and good things just to earn favor. For Nicodemus, rituals and, and ceremonies and, and keeping the Old Testament law and all of these things, that was where salvation was found. He's looking for his hope and what he can do. Everything was about what he could earn. And then I absolutely love what Jesus does in verse 10. And he kind of slaps Nicodemus in the face a little bit. I love that. Jesus is like, hey, you're the spiritual leader of the nation. You are this grand Pharisee. The teacher of Israel. You don't even know the source of salvation. You don't even know what it means to be born again and to have new life. This is something foreign to you. Yet Nicodemus is claiming to know the things of God and not only know the things of God, but teach the things of God. And Jesus is like, in all reality, friend, with all due respect, you do not know or understand the true source of salvation. And what's really powerful here, and I want you to hear me on this, is that Jesus is telling Nicodemus, this man who has memorized God's word, followed every commandment, kept every ritual, his religion is near perfect. He has done it all. He is the top dog. Jesus looking at him in the eye and saying, you need to be born again. You must be saved, Nicodemus. Something must change in you. Even this man of such high honor needed saving, which is where we get truth number two of the morning. We cannot afford to think we're good enough. And what a grave mistake that can be. We cannot afford the mistake of misunderstanding where our salvation comes from. 
Friends, let us not be confused. Let's not get lost. I love what Matt Carter wrote about this. He says, entrance to heaven is out of reach even for the most moral and upstanding and law-keeping person you know. But we have a tendency to think otherwise in the way that we live, in the way that we think, the things that we do. We have a tendency to try to live on what we can do, how good we can be, and trying to earn God's favor. And we get into dangerous, shark-infested waters where Satan tries to nip at our heels with things of distraction. What my mentor and pastor over at Creekside says, weapons of mass distraction. Good works are good, but let's not be confused. We can start to run on a treadmill of good works, doing these things for all the wrong reasons trying to earn favor and climb a ladder that we cannot climb. Sometimes we will rely on how well we know the Bible. I I have a scripture reference for everything. Oh, that person is struggling with this. If they turn to Psalm whatever, there it is. This person is struggling with, you know, and, and we start to look for our salvation and how well I know. And soon... God's word, God's powerful word becomes head knowledge instead of heart knowledge. And it becomes more about religion and what I can do and less about this relationship with Jesus and how much I rely on his cross. Sometimes it's about how often we attend church. I haven't missed church since the blizzard of 86, so therefore I must have a very high favor with God. Or how much I give. But friends, how much are we relying on the grace of God at the cross? The blood that flowed from the veins of Jesus. And the pain that he experienced as he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Such pain that was felt by Jesus to save you and save me. And here we are relying on just efforts and the strength that we have that falls short. Now, I want to be very clear that all these things that I just listed off, they're good things. Amen? They're good things. Knowing God's Word and going to church and giving and serving in certain ministries. But we can't find our hope there. These are things that we do in response. Because of God's grace at the cross, I now serve in a ministry so I can be the hands and the feet of Jesus and show the world of his love and mercy. Because of God's grace that has saved me and given me salvation, I come to church so I can worship and praise his glorious name. Because of God's grace that has saved me, I now give faithfully because it came from him first. And I am thankful for his gracious generosity. Everything must be centered on the grace of God. And then that flows into what we do. Now we also run another risk of trying to find our hope, hope being the key word, we try to find our hope in other outside things. There's a false sense of security in what we own. Trying to think about You know, we have the nicest house on the street. Do we have the best Christmas decorations up? 
the best looking lights. I, I drive the nicest car. I have the best job. What other people think about us for some odd reason that I am still trying to figure out, and it's true for me, but what other people think about us is for some reason extremely valuable to us. We tend to bury ourselves in work. We tend to bury ourselves with habits, bad habits, that at the surface seem okay, but then we dig down to the root and we find out that they are selfish and sinful. And we tend to bury ourselves with things like this. Now, many times when we think of, you know, bad habits, bad things that are selfish and sinful, we think of the big three, what I call the big three. Pornography, drugs, and alcohol. That if I'm not watching porn, and if I'm not doing drugs, or I'm not abusing alcohol, then I'm fine. But no, 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 let's, let's be aware here about other things that may fly underneath our radar. Like I said earlier, that the Satan may be using weapons of mass distraction in our lives. Things like gossip or telling a partial truth. You know, I'm going to give 50% of the truth just to make myself look good. Or I could be lazy. That's a big one for me. I'm a, I can be lazy a lot. Be lazy, I could really struggle with anger. It could be a pride, an arrogance thing. And the list can go on and on of things that at the root, at the core, are selfish. And they're sinful. And they're not honoring to our Lord. My brother got a virtual reality headset for his birthday this summer. And I'm not sure if you all have maybe seen the commercial for what these are. It's this mask that goes over your eyes. And then there's a, a screen on the inside part of the mask that goes over your eyes. And I'm sure that is so great for your brain cells. And then you have a controller in each hand. Now, these, these video game controllers are hooked up to the screen, and so it looks like you're in a brand new world. Like, if I were to have one on right now, I couldn't see you. I would see something completely different. And I would have these controllers in my hands, and I would be functioning in a virtual world full of video games. So my brother gets one of these headsets for his birthday, and um, it's pretty cool. So I decided to give it a try, so I slip on the, the mask, you know, and I've got the controllers in my hands, and... I'm looking around at this amazing world that's like, wow, I just stepped into, it's like I went through a portal, right? And it's, it's really cool, but I decided to play one of the games, you know, one of the video games on there, and that was quite an interesting experience. But my favorite game, I think is called Beat Saber, is that right, Evan? Yeah, Beat Saber. So it's this game where you have lightsabers in your hands, like from Star Wars, and you're holding these lightsabers, and these objects are coming at you. And if the objects hit you, then you're dead and you have to start over. So you have lightsabers and you're swiping. And so I'm standing there, you know, and I'm dodging everything. And I feel like a Jedi, you know, I feel like Yoda. And I'm dodging and swiping all this stuff. I feel so cool when I'm playing the game. It's like, man, I must, I must look really great right now. And then I take it off and I give it back. And then one of my family members had taken a video of me and I looked absolutely ridiculous. Looks like a fool. <laughs> oh man, I look so stupid. But when I was playing the game, I felt like a Jedi. I felt awesome. 
felt like I was doing good. That's how it is, right? It can be that way sometimes. Now, I feel like I'm doing real good in life right now. Doing all the right things. Go to church every Sunday. Serve in different ministries and I give. Or, or maybe it's like, you know, I, feel, I, I have these things in my life that I do because they make me feel good. And people at work like me or, or whatever. I may feel like I'm doing good. I may feel like I'm doing the right thing. And Jesus is going, oh my goodness. No. Real, everlasting, true life. It's not found in what you do. It's found in your faith. We must have a faith in the grace of Jesus Christ at the cross. Now Jesus, He goes on to stress this. In verses 11 through 15, He goes on to stress and He really hones in on our faith and our belief. Pick it up with me in John chapter 3, verse 11. As we start to hit kind of this uh, climax of what Jesus is talking about, verse 11, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Essentially, Jesus was saying, if you cannot grasp or understand this concept of new life, where your life is found in grace, where your life is found by having faith and receiving me. He said in verse 11, you are not receiving my testimony. I can imagine here that that had to be a hard thing for Jesus to say. You're not receiving real life. But if you don't accept this and you cannot understand this, there are more things to God that will be foreign to you. And then Jesus does something that is amazing. Verses 14 and 15. I love that Jesus comes down. He stoops down to Nicodemus's level. And he starts to get real. He wants Nicodemus to understand. He loves Nicodemus. He's Nicodemus's creator and savior. And he wants him to understand. So he comes down and starts using a language that Nicodemus can relate to. So if you're talking to me and you're trying to explain things to me, you might use an analogy that I will easily understand. I'm a musician, I'm a drummer, and so you might use an analogy, a music analogy. I like to go fishing. So if you want me to understand something, maybe a fishing analogy would work. I was also an athlete in high school. I played baseball and I played hockey. And so a sports analogy would also fit. My dad was great at this, teaching me life lessons and, and baseball was his favorite. He would use baseball analogies with me all the time. And I would never get it until he used something I understood. He started speaking my language. He started speaking my language with, you know, sports. Jesus does that in verse 14. Remember, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He knows the Old Testament very, very well. He has it memorized. 
So as Jesus recalls this incident with Moses from the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 21, Nicodemus goes, oh, I, I know what he's talking about. You know, preferably, if you're trying to get me to understand something, you would use the English language, <laughs> speaking in a language I can understand. So Jesus is starting to reach out to Nicodemus and say, remember when Moses lifted up that serpent in the Old Testament? A story, Nicodemus, that you very well know. What happened in Numbers chapter 21 is that God's people, the nation of Israel, had become very, very blind. God had just delivered them, saved them. Yet they were complaining, whining. They were even starting to doubt the goodness of God. And they were starting to doubt God's love for them. So God sent these poisonous snakes, which is a wonderful thought. <laughs> these poisonous snakes among them. And the nation was flooded with what many believed were rattlesnakes. And so these poisonous snakes started biting the people of Israel and they started dying off. They start crying out, Lord, save us. And God said, Moses, take that bronze snake and put it on a pole that whoever looks at that bronze snake will be saved. God made a way for his people in the Old Testament to be saved from their affliction. He built a bridge so that they would be saved and rescued. You ever wondered why a medical symbol is a snake? For a long time, it didn't make any sense to me. But in the Old Testament, they looked up at that bronze snake and they were saved from the venomous bites. In this Old Testament account, God made a way. He built a bridge and it showed His grace. He had just delivered the people from slavery. He had just delivered them from Egypt. He had just done, he had done nothing but love them and care for them and express his concern for them. He had carried them. He was faithful to them and they started to doubt him. They started to sin against him. God owed them nothing. But he loved them and he showed them grace. Because Nicodemus understands this story, he says, I will be lifted up. Just as that bronze snake was lifted up for deliverance, Jesus was saying, I will be lifted up. So that whoever looks at me, whoever looks at my cross, whoever believes in my grace for you, whoever has a faith crying out to me and saying, Jesus, Lord, I need you to save me because I'm such a broken sinner and I get it wrong all the time and I cannot obtain life. I cannot make it to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, I am turning to your cross and looking to you to be saved. That person will be saved. One who has faith. Truth number three, the only answer to the poison of our sin is the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. He is our only, only answer. I don't know you guys at all. I'm glad to be here today. I'm overjoyed. I just met you. So I don't know what you have brought with you into the room today, what struggles or hardships or burdens you may be facing, burdens you may be carrying around, things that have you hopeless, helpless. I don't know what that is. 
Jesus there in verse 15 says that whoever believes may have eternal life. This exhausting pursuit of trying to be good enough is something Jesus has taken care of. He is all you need now. He's all you're ever going to need. He's all I'll need. He is enough. One of my favorite contemporary uh, worship songs is, Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. That's why we worship. That's why we come. That is why we gather here. That is why we serve. That is why we do what we do. Because His grace is enough. So this exhausting pursuit of trying to be good enough on our own, on our own efforts, Jesus took care of it. And the hope that we cannot find in any other person or any other possession or any other pursuit or any kind of knowledge or action, that hope is found in Jesus. So whatever your brokenness is today, my prayer is that all of us are coming to the cross of Jesus Christ, where He bled, where He died, with a grace and a love and a mercy so great that nothing else that you or me can ever do will be good enough. It's only Him that will be good enough. Let's look to the cross. Let's look up to Him with faith, trust, dependence, and rely on nothing else. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We love You. We, we, we bow before Your throne, Father, in awe of the grace that You have and the love that You have for people that are in need. In need of saving. Desperate. And as we are desperate for You, we lift our eyes to You, Jesus, praying for Your powerful work. And we know that it is there. Jesus, I continue to pray that just through Your Word and through Your work in our lives, each and every day, I pray that we would grow closer and closer to You. Father, we are thankful today and we give You the worship, the praise, the honor, and the glory. And it's in Your name. Amen.